Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Good morning. How good is it to be back together? So most of you have met Andrew already and you'll see him here a lot doing the 8.30 service pastor role, which he's taking on, you know, at the moment. Um, I'm Phoebe McKenzie. I'm married to Andrew. My parents are David and Gay Moore, who a lot of you may know. They've been here forever and a day. Um, In my day job, I work as an eye doctor, which means that I've spent the last 14 years studying first the human body and then the eye in intricate detail. And I have to say that studying the intricate science of the eye leads me to be more and more just astounded at the absolute genius of our creator. There is so much incredible detail in how the eye works that it can only point to an intelligent design and an intelligent creator. A couple of fun facts to kick us off. Your central vision has more blood flow per millimetre squared than any other part of your entire body. There are one million nerves that come from each of your retinas to convey an an image or information to the back of your brain where you process vision. Now, every single one of those nerves has to maintain perfect alignment through its entire journey to the back of your brain to see an orientated image. And if just one of those nerves lost its orientation throughout the nerve, you'd see the world as a kaleidoscope. How remarkable is it that every single person in this room, I'm assuming, sees the world fully orientated? Your iris has 256 unique characteristics to you. Your fingerprint has only 40. Now, before you get alarmed and start thinking that you've come to a medical lecture, don't worry, I have a point. I am going up. I am going somewhere. I just think these are fun facts. Hand up all the science nerds in the room. Yes, my people. All right. So, for those of you who are nice and uh, close and full onto the screen, this may or may not work. For those of you who have a smartphone and are quick on it, so all those sort of Gen Y, Gen Z in the room, I want you to pull out your YouTube, look up Pink Dot Optical Illusion. And I'm going to give you a few seconds to do that. I'm going to put it up here as well. If you're nice front and centre to the screen, this will work. If not, you'll do it on your phone. You're going to see a circle of pink dots come up. Your job is to hit play, stare at the central cross, do that for about... 30 seconds, don't look away, stare at the centre cross, and don't look away. Now, if you're looking at it from the periphery, you're better to look at it on your screen, but I want you to see what happens. Loving the techno music. Is anything happening yet? Anything happening? apart from a dance party. All right, we can probably stop that one now. I think we we can um, turn that music off. That's going to give me a headache. So for those of you that didn't get it, you can watch it again afterwards. But what you'll see is as you stare at the cross in the middle, the pink dots in the periphery of your vision start to vanish. Did that happen for anybody? Yeah, a few people. And what you saw was a green dot start to move in a circle. It wasn't that there was ever a green dot there, it was the withdrawal of the pink made your brain insert some green. And what happened is the pink dots never disappeared, they were there the whole time, but your brain started to fill in the gaps and ignore them. So our vision is quite clever in that it's designed to give the bulk of our energy to our very central vision, and that is what allows us to have such sharp vision and have such clarity of our vision. But to do that, it gives less attention to our peripheral vision. And so our peripheral vision is attuned to really only notice things that are changing suddenly or changing 
moving significantly. And the argument would be that historically, if a predator was going to run at you from the side, you'd notice that sudden movement and either run away or turn and fight that predator. But when things are stationary or only moving very, very occasionally or slowly, you won't notice the change. So things that change slowly in your peripheral vision often go unnoticed. And things actually have to be in a pretty bad state before you even perceive that there's a problem. So this is what it looks like when you get glaucoma, which is a disease of peripheral vision. We start off with good peripheral vision, and then slowly, slowly, darkness creeps into the peripheral vision. And the trouble is, for me, a lot of patients will come to me at this point, having never even realised that there's a problem, totally unaware that there was ever an issue. And that's a disease called glaucoma, which is often dubbed as the thief of sight. Because when the defect's mild, you're completely unaware that it's there. And it can often take someone else, like your eye doctor, pointing it out to you to recognise that there's a problem. And you might only realise it yourself when things have gotten very bad. So there is another thief that comes to close our spiritual eyes. So how much is this example of glaucoma true in our Christian walk? So the enemy knows that we're not going to lose our faith in a single day. It's that slow fade that's much more dangerous. It's that insidious creep of white little sins that creep into our peripheral vision that slowly, slowly creep away. And they're the most dangerous, actually. You know, what we watch on TV, how we talk, how we prioritise spending our time, how we make an effort to be in the Word and in prayer. And it's that slow creep away from God that can happen so slowly that we don't even perceive that there's a problem. And before we know it, we're just living a nominal lip service faith or it was just something I was into once. Who remembers Pastor Darren's message from a few months ago that said, how did we get here? How did we go from being in a place where we were on fire to, for God and then it seems a sudden shift, we're in a completely dark and different place? It wasn't a sudden shift, it was a slow fade, but we didn't perceive the problem. I would have to say the good news is that unlike glaucoma, a diseased heart is not irredeemable. So if you do find yourself in that place, be really comforted because God is our perfect physician. He sheds light on darkness and disease. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And then he says in chapter 16 that in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So what are we to do? How do we stop this from happening? How do we recognise early that creep in our peripheral vision? How do we shed light on the things that are unseen to us? I would say that we have three prongs to our ammunition. Number one, the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And when we submerge ourselves continually and constantly in the word of God, he will use his word to shine light into those dark spaces. So we must be, do our bit and be in the word. And when we read the word, we should be prayerful and say, God, please speak to me through my reading today. The second prong in our ammunition is prayer. Be still, wait on God and ask him to reveal to you areas of conviction. I want to segue a moment here and just, you know, it could be a whole message in itself, but the difference between conviction and condemnation here. So condemnation is that feeling of, oh my goodness, I'm worthless, I've done it again, I've messed up, I just can't stop sinning, no one will ever see me as worthy of anything. That's condemnation and that is, I want to make a point, that is not from God. Conviction, on the other hand, is that sense of God saying, I love you so much that I want the best for you. I love you too much to leave you as you are. I love you so much that I see potential in you and I want to hone that potential so that you can do great things. So I love you. Your worth will never change. But that thing you're doing, that's not the best for you. So go and change. That's conviction. And the third prong in our armamentarian is fellowship. So any pilots in the room? There's one down here. 
All right, so I'm not a pilot. Full disclosure, I get horribly airsick. However, I do have it on good authority that fighter pilots fly in pairs. And that a fighter pilot who flies alone is vulnerable in their blind spot because an enemy can creep in their blind spot, come up behind them and attack them without them realising that the enemy is there. So we, as a result, fighter pilots are trained to fight, flight, fly and fight in pairs so that each fighter pilot watches their fellow pilot's blind spot. They call this having a wingman. So I would ask you, who is your wingman? It's important in this to be prayerful and really wise about who you appoint as a wingman in your life, who you appoint and give authority to speak into your life. And always be careful to test the words of humans against the scripture because not all words are uplifting and not all words are true. But who here can say that they have the blessing of having a godly wingman in their life or wingwoman? I feel incredibly blessed to have a few godly women in my life who I trust to speak the truth in love over my life. So be in the word, be prayerful, and keep fellowship. That's the three prongs of our, our armamentarian to fight back against the darkness creeping in without us noticing it. So I think we as Christians are often aware that we have a body, a mind, and a spirit. And in fact, New Age philosophy is really only just discovering what God has been telling us for thousands of years. We have a body, we have a mind, we have a spirit. And in the Bible, the body is often referred to as the flesh. And they talk about hedonism being a person who lives to seek the desires or please the flesh, someone who lives for the pleasures of today. And most of us would be aware that the flesh, you know, the desires of the flesh need to be kept in line. I'm working on keeping my relationship with chocolate in check. Our spirit, on the other hand, is completely renewed the day that we give our lives to God. It's a line in the sand moment that lasts for all of eternity. We are renewed in our spirit and we are given the Holy Spirit the day we give our lives to God. That never changes. Our mind, what's in the middle is our mind. And we will spend the rest of our lives working with God to renew our minds. Paul talks about running the good race and he says that we must run in such a way as to win the prize. So what does the Bible say about our minds? It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And this concept, this description of being transformed, is actually used pretty sparingly through the New Testament. Only a couple of times talking about the transfiguration of Jesus and talking about the transformation that comes upon Christians who've seen the face of God and the change that happens within them. So renewing our minds is what we are called to do. It's unlike our spirit, this isn't a once-off thing. This is a daily task. The spirit is already God's, but the mind is where our battlefield is, and this battle is going to last the rest of our lives. So every day we're called to make a choice to renew your mind by filling it with things above, because that which you dwell on is that which you become. So how do we renew our minds? What do we fill our minds with? It says in Matthew 12, verse 35, that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. You'd be all pretty familiar with this, this picture that those who see no evil, those who hear no evil, will speak no evil. Now, it's not to say that we all need to go and bury our heads in the sand and be oblivious to the problems of the world and ignore them because how, how then can we be a light in the darkness? But we shouldn't allow ourselves to be consumed by the darkness in the world. We shouldn't fill our minds with earthly things, with things that draw us away from God. We should be 
dwelling and filling our minds with godly things. It's become fairly obvious what the evil things are we should avoid, you know, the traditional temptations, but what are the less obvious things that are more dangerous as they creep into our peripheral vision, causing a problem without our awareness? When I look at our society, I get really concerned about how permissive it's become. You know, you only have to look at the media and movies and sort of say, well, what, 20 years ago that would have been considered incredibly graphic, now it's PG. And anyone who has a problem with the permissiveness in society at the moment is labelled either as a prude or worse, a bigot. And the enemy is working to silence the voice of the godly in our world. Crass talk is becoming commonplace. And I want to take a little segue again and talk about social media for a moment. Um, there's a few statistics we're going to put up. These statistics were released this year out of the US. The average smartphone owner will click, tap or swipe their phone 2,617 times every single day. The average American spends two hours and 51 minutes looking at their screen. The average American teenager uses some form of screen-based entertainment seven or more hours a day. And what's even more sobering is that for these American teenagers, teenagers who spend five or more hours a day on an electronic device are 71% more likely to have suicidal risk factors than teenagers who spend less than an hour a day on a, on a screen. That's sobering. Now, I'm not here to say that technology is the enemy and that smartphones are out to get us, you know, but it's a tool. You think about a car. A car is a tool that can do great good, get you from A to B. A car, when used incorrectly, can cause great destru destruction. So I would say that technology is a great tool. How much have we all benefited from technology through the pandemic to keep us all together? But smartphones and technology also has the potential for great harm and great addiction. You know, one thing that I've been challenged of in my own life recently is that I was spending too much time, you know, 10 minutes here, five minutes there, flicking on my, flicking on my phone, and that was wasted time. And over the course of a day, that adds up to a fair bit. And we saw the stats there. It adds up to a fair bit. So one challenge that I had in myself was to delete all my social media apps off my phone. Not to say I have to delete the account, but I have to open my computer if I want to look at my social media so that I'm not wasting time on my phone flicking at something mindless and useless. Not to say that you have to do the same, that's been my challenge. Because if you fill your mind with vacant and empty things, you become a vacant and empty person. So what do we do? How do we fight back? Well, first, we recognise that the battle belongs to the Lord. Every day we submit our way to God, and every day we make a choice. It doesn't happen naturally. You have to make a choice to fill your mind with godly things. And if you fill your mind so full of things of God, then there's no space left for negativity, for things of darkness to creep in. It's in those empty, vacant spaces that the enemy can best get a foothold. So the world's answer to managing stress is meditation. But most modern meditation focuses on emptying your mind and leaving a total void. But when you empty your mind, you create space for other things to creep in. Creep in from the periphery, but creep in nonetheless. But to meditate on Christ is to fill your mind. Fill your mind with godly things. So God didn't create us to be stupid. He's given us minds. He wants us to think. He wants us to question. He wants us to reason. He says, use your mind and use it to think elevated thoughts. I love the preaching series we've had recently on being elevated in our talk, in our thought, in our walk. What's God's answer to managing stress? I think that can be found in Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if we in our self-control will choose to submit both our time 
and our attention to God, he will reveal himself to us in new ways. The world is constantly competing for our time and for our attention. It's bombarding us with images and messages. We can't catch a break. The enemy's crafty. He's aware that we're pretty tuned into the traditional temptations. So there's new temptations. There's new footholds that try and take our time and our attention so that we have no time, no attention left for God. The world is constantly bombarding us with information and we're losing the ability to stop and be still. We are losing the ability to just focus in on God and to wait and to listen. So it actually takes self-control and discipline to carve out time and carve out attention to devote back to God. You tell me, I don't have time. You Believe you me, I have heard every excuse and used every excuse under the sun of being too busy, not having time, having kids. You know, I get up at 5.30 for a quiet time. Kids are up at 5.32, ready to go. Um, you say I don't have time, but I would have to say my counter to that to myself as much as to anyone else is that no matter how busy you are, that which is a priority in life, you will make the time for. So we'll put down your devices, you'll turn off your TV, you'll get out of bed earlier if need be. The time is there if you carve it out, if it's a priority. Creating time takes incredible discipline and self-control. But what is self-control? It's the fruit of the spirit. It's often ignored, it's listed last in the fruit of the spirit, but it's no less important than love, patience and peace, simply because it's listed last. And in fact, Discipline and self-control are markers of spiritual maturity. And you actually can't go deeper in your faith without having the self-control and the discipline to carve out that time to devote to God. When we submit our time and our attention to God, it's God who will work the change within us. Our job's just to do the submitting. We submit our will to him, and when we do this, and when we choose to fill our mind with those higher, elevated things, God will work the change within us. And it's the Holy Spirit who changes us. We're not doing it ourselves we're just simply submitting our time as our sacrifice to God. We're not asked to sacrifice animals. We're not asked to, you know, go to the altar and put down a physical sacrifice. But we need to make a sacrifice of our time and our attention. Our Christian walk's not about having a list of rules or commands or us striving to change ourselves to be acceptable to God. But rather, as we fill our minds with things of Christ, that change will naturally come about. But every day we are called to renew our mind. And from there, from that daily submission, that daily commitment to fill our mind with things of God, our faith will go deeper and it will be God that causes the transformation in us. It's not something that we achieved ourselves. But the first step to doing that is to fill our mind with heavenly things and do it every day. Then do it again. Then do it again. Then do it again. And again. And again. And again every day for the rest of your life. We're not allowed to sing together, but Mitch is going to minister to us. Um, who knows the old hymn, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Mitch is just going to sing that for us briefly. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face 
And the things of us will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Amen. Very good. How good is that song? Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all back in the building gathering, and uh, we're thankful for Church Online. We're thankful for what God's been uh, afforded us in terms of what we've been able to do, and thanks to Mikey and the team that deliver that in the way that they do, and um, uh, it's good. Uh, today is um, Dan and Jules Coleman's last Sunday before they move, and obviously Jules has overseen this service for an extended period of time, and um, Andrew's going to be the pastor uh, of this service, and he and Phoebe will do a great job. And um, So Andrew's going to be praying with Dan and Jules at the end of this service. Because we do continue the conversation live... Bron and I are going to move into the next room and do that in the little studio there. And then we're going to pray with them and gift them, etc., in the 10 a.m. service. So, so you know what's going on. Um, I was reading Phoebe's notes early in the week to see what she was speaking on. And I thought, wow, this woman knows a lot about eyes for a school teacher. And I was, I was like, wow, Phoebe Stace, you should have been in eye, you know, somewhere in that sphere. And then sometime later... I realised that, of course, this was actually Phoebe McKenzie, and uh, she stole my opener. I was going to speak all about the intricate detail of the eye, and so I'm just going to skip that bit now and get straight into to the rest of my message. I hope it helps you. It's good to see you. Um, it should be praying for our government, praying for our nation, and uh, I think these are times where the church, I really believe with all my heart, that there's a time where the church has an opportunity to be a voice of unity and of harmony, uh, of love and of coming together. Uh, you know, you've got propaganda and nations and political agendas and people's opinion. You've got vaxxers and non-vaxxers. You've got everything in between. You've got people polarised all over the place. And if ever there was a time for the church to be a uniting voice amongst itself in its community and for our nation, I reckon in my lifetime, it's now. And so let's do that. Let's be wise. I reckon your unity is more important than your opinion. That's my honest view. I reckon it's more important than mine too. And uh, so let's, let's, let's be that. Let's be that kind of voice. And um, as we work together for good, let's keep our eyes on the main thing, the cross. Let's not get lost on the pink, on the peripheral. And uh, remember that whether you are someone who believes fully in vaccination and we should all be done, or whether you sit on the other end, uh, it's a disputable matter. And the Bible says on disputable matters that I should think of your best interests and your heart, not mine. And so let's be those kinds of people, I'm sure you are, and let's continue to do the best we can. I want to speak to you really briefly today in the minutes that I've got before Andrew comes. And uh, I want to speak to you about one word. 
It's a word that's been pretty powerful in your life to this moment. Who you are, where you're at, who I am, where I'm at is very much a product of this word and one other word. And so I want to speak about it today. And that word is simply yes. Yes. And I wonder what your next yes to God is. I don't know what you think of that thought. I get excited at that thought. I get slightly scared sometimes at that thought. I get very excited most of the time at that thought. Then your next yes to God. I wonder what your next yes to God might be. And I wonder in the moment when you and I come to our next yes, what our response will be. Will it be a big yes? I sure do, honestly. I, I can't fully express how thankful I am for Dan and Jules. It's, it's just beyond words, really. You know, Jules started to pastor our kids' church, which wasn't a kids' church. It was two of, or her two kids, and two of our kids. I don't think Katie was even born yet. And uh, they've been right along the journey from then till now, when they used to do kids' church under a tree, and then under a little umbrella. And they just, they moved their little family from Cowra to what then would have been a very hard decision to come here and what was going on here, but they just went yes to God and what a yes it was. What a yes it's been for their life, what a yes it's been for our church, uh, what a yes it's been for many of you personally. Thank God they said yes to God and I tell you I'm personally very thankful. The miracle that is what's happened to this point in our church for all of its failings is a move of God but for all of its failings whatever it is and whatever it isn't, Dan and Jules before they got old, when they were young, said yes to God, packed up their little family, sold their house and moved to Tamworth with a promise of nothing. What a yes it was, what a journey it's been, I bet they wouldn't trade it for anything. And you know, they're now about to move into their next yes. I know what you're thinking, how hard is it to say yes to Port Macquarie, Darren? I agree, how hard is it? You want to be certain you got that yes right, hey? No, I'm having fun. They, um, but I wonder what your next yes to God is. And let's think about that. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus is speaking. He's telling a parable. And really, he's talking about people saying yes or no to God. He says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike to began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must see it. Please excuse me. I, I want you to catch the tone of response. It's very polite. It's very respectful. It's very considered. Bought a field. Please excuse me. Another said, I, I just brought five oxen and, and I'm on my way to try them out. So just, just, just excuse me, please. And then another person said, I just got married and I won't be able to come. Well, you'd think they'd be able to come because surely they got a gift they didn't want that they could rewrap and give to the next married couple. But anyway, that aside, the servant came back. He reported this to the master and then the owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. It goes on. And so we get this picture of God's invitation to humanity and people's no response to him. Very polite, very reasonable, very considered. And yet we know that the Bible goes on to say that 
polite, considered, reasonable no to my invitation that was seeking a yes, it just doesn't cut it. And then let's contrast it with this, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send? Whom should I send? Right up the back there. All the girls and boys in the back corner. The young prophet Isaiah has a dream and a vision. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, who will I send? Who will go for us? And the young prophet Isaiah sends the word back, here I am. Send me, God. Yes, God. I'm in. I mean, it's funny, he's having a vision or a dream. We're not really sure. I'm not really sure which one it is. It's pretty obvious that he's the only person in the dream. And the Holy Spirit says, whom will I send? Like, there's a crowd of people there. And I don't know what option Isaiah really had. Like, ah, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. But I think the point is, he's like, in his dream, he's going, yes, God, send me. Yes, God, I'm in. And it's a yes from it's a yes from him, and, 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 and I absolutely know God is working by his spirit in you and in me, and, and, and that he's trying to bring us to our next yes, because powerful, it's pivotal, it's profound in our lives, even when it seems small and insignificant, it's actually bigger than we realize many times, uh, the, the next yes to God in our lives. So here are three quick thoughts in the moments that we have. Number one, when it comes to our next yes to God, just to keep it simple. We'll, who will go for us? And he said, yep, me, send me. I'll go, God. I'm in, God. I'm up for it, God. He, he had no detail. In fact, once he gets a detail, he might have been wishing he said no, but he had no detail. He's just like, yeah, I'm in, God. You, you want someone to go and I'm, I'm your guy. And he just keeps it simple. And I think, just keep it simple. People overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it. I think about the yeses I've said to God over the years and I, can't, I could not possibly have known. If I'd known some of them, I wouldn't have gone. And if I'd known others, I wouldn't have believed it. And if I'd known others, I would have said, yeah, I'm up for that. But the yes to God usually comes without the detail I want and the detail that I don't need. Just keep it simple. Don't complicate it. Don't overthink it. Um, yes to God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus says, um, but let your statement be yes or no. A firm yes or a firm no. Anything more than that is from the evil one. Um, just yes or no. And in, as it relates to God, let's keep it simple. Yes, God, I'm in. Oh, yes, God, here we go. And make it that simple. Number two, it's coming. You know, your next opportunity for yes, my next opportunity for yes is coming. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I have thoughts. And I can tell you the thoughts that I have, I'm scared of. But I know that my next opportunity for yes to God is coming towards me and it's coming towards you. And what an opportunity it is, what a privilege it is, what a pivotal thing it is in our lives. And so I'm not sure what that is for you. I, I, I can remember I made a decision for Jesus at 21 years old. And I just remember being in that service, I can remember it clearly. And I just remember, I just said yes to God. I didn't know what was coming. Yes to God. And a little while later, not long later, I heard about baptism and I said yes to baptism. And a little while longer, not very much later, I heard a message on tithing. And I said yes to tithing. 
And I know people that have wrestled with all those things for years, decades, lifetimes. I reckon the best thing, just keep it simple. The next yes is coming. Let's just yes to God. I'm in God. And you know, I remember those things happening. All of those things happened very quickly for me. Became a Christian in the October of 1992, just a few short years ago. And you know, that had all happened before the Christmas. And then I remember this moment. I was working the night shift at Dairy Farmers, 21-year-old young man. And as I was working away on the night shift, I had this thought come into my head. I was just out of nowhere all of a sudden just go, Darren, this old man says to me in my thought, Darren, you can marry my daughter if you'll give up footy. And in my head I went, yeah, of course I'll do that. Imagine, give up footy, get Bromwin. That's a good deal. But I did in, in the moment, I just went, yeah, I'd do that. And then before I could breathe a breath, think a thought or blink my eyes, the thought came to my mind, do it for me. And I knew it was God. Now, I didn't know anything about God. I've been a Christian five seconds, but I knew that what just happened was a God moment. No one had taught me this, how it worked. So I didn't have any preconceived idea. I didn't have any bias towards that. But I just knew that this voice that was in my head of an old man that said, Darren, will you give up footy for me? And then the voice that said, do it for me. I just knew it was God. And you've got to know that that was the biggest thing in my life. That was huge. My son wakes up thinking about footy. I'm like, how is that boy ever going to get married unless he marries a girl who only has one care, which is footy? And he just lives and breathes it. He trains three days a week, three times a day, I mean. He will come in at 10.30 at night when it's time for bed and go, I missed one of my sessions today. Can I go train? To which we emphatically yell out, no, you do it earlier. He is a fanatic about footy. And I was like that too. And so when this happened, I audibly, out loud, as I was working away, went, no, God, not that. Not that. And I remember just thinking, not that. And, and at that time in my life, um, I'd just been offered a, uh, the West Tigers had just come back and approached uh, the club I was playing with after I'd caused a bit of trouble and chaos and we won't go into it. And I just made significant rep teams. I'd been offered more money than I'd been offered to ever play footy. When they heard that I was thinking of giving it away, they said, well, we'll give you extra money and you just train once a week, you do whatever you want. And everything was there. I could have said, oh, this looks like it's God to me. And you know, I prayed every day for years. God, I'd be so good if you used me in that space. Could you just flip that now? I'm being honest with you. Some of you are going to laugh. Do you know I prayed that prayer till I was 40 years old? 40. Because I knew what God did with Caleb. I knew that he could do it with me. Well, you know, I thought he could. Maybe that was an overestimation of my abilities. But 40 years old, I prayed. For 19 years, I continued to pray that prayer. But my yes, my next yes. And you know, over the years, there's been more yeses coming. And now I'm looking at the next yes. So I don't know when it's coming. But you know, that is one of the best decisions I've ever made. When I look back now, and I didn't even need to get to now, when I look back and go, that decision was so defining. That decision there, that was so pivotal. Everything that's unfolded since, is, it's coming, it's coming at you. And then the third and the final thought today, number one, number one is obviously keep it simple. Number two is it's coming. And then number three is it will show up. 
the, the, the effect of the yes will show up in its time. And that's my great encouragement to you today. It will show up in its time that you say yes to God and know he's got this. I cannot think of a single yes across all of my life that I look back, yes to God, I mean, and go, oh, I wish I'd, I regret that. Not one time. Not in the hundreds, maybe thousands of yeses. You know, at 21, I remember one of the decisions I made was I go to church every Sunday. In fact, I go to church twice every Sunday. I just remember 21 made that decision. I've been to church just based on that more than 3,000 times. That doesn't include conferences, things I've been in, things I'm required at, all of those things. 3,000 times, you know, and this is not a boast, it's just saying about our yes to God. Do you know I've never woken up once and gone, will I go? Never. 29 years. Because my answer is yes. And that yes has power. And over the course of time, it does show up. And so what, what, what are the yeses? What's God's next yes for you? Because that is powerful in our lives. It's going to show up. It's, it's going to have an outworking. God calls us to our next yes, and it might be a, 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 an act of obedience like baptism. It might be that you're about to say yes and reroute your life in a God direction. It might be a small yes that is just to continuing to um, perpetuate the idea that you are the faithful and the day is coming. When he says, well done, good and faithful servant, the, the next yes could be a catalyst moment like that moment then. You know, and I, I think of significant moments since. And you know, every significant yes that I've ever said has happened on a very ordinary day. It's never felt deeply spiritual. I've never, I'm not, there's a couple where I've gone, I know this is a profound moment. But most of them weren't. But they, they, you realize later that they were. God's bringing you to yeses like that. You might be there right now. And I can tell you that, that if we get to the end and, and you pause like the invitation to the wedding, you will live to regret that. Thank God for his grace. But there's no need to. Yes to the next thing that God has for us. And as we wrap, I pray that you will be the one who does. No matter what anybody else does in this age that we live, may we not be governed by a majority or influenced by the crowd, but may you and I, like the old prophet Isaiah, be those who determine, you know what, I'm just going to be the one. I'm just going to be the one. Couldn't sleep last night. Got some news that just, just breaks my heart. Just breaks my heart about just a friend of mine and a decision, a no they've said. And it kept me awake. I just sat there for about an hour in my mind going, be strong, be courageous, do not fear, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And for an hour, I sat with my eyes closed, quoting that verse to my own spirit, because I've said yes to God, and I'm not going to be deterred. And my prayer for you is that you would be the one. You would be the one. No matter what anybody else is doing. You boys up the back, that you would be the one. That no matter what anybody else is doing, that says yes to God. And the good news is, the opportunity for it is coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. 
Whether you are new in exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.